Well, welcome again, once again, to live stream, and uh, it's good to see you all out there in the internet atmosphere, and to those of you who will join us later, of course, we've, we've been back to live streaming because we're in Level Red in, in Union County. No one, no member of your staff uh, likes doing it this way, but, but we feel like this is just the, the easiest way uh, at this point, and so we'll keep you advised. Hopefully this will be short term, and, and we can start returning back to gathering again or, or do something uh, soon together. Uh, keep your church members in your prayer, and you see the prayer requests. There's been a, a lot of different injuries in our congregation the, the last week. I was on vacation last week, so I don't know what happened. It seemed like everything just fell apart while I was gone, and, and now we're back to live streaming. But we're going to worship anyhow, aren't we? And so um, I'm going to pray, and then Amy, Chris, yeah, yeah you guys ready? Kristen, ready? Yeah. Ready? All right. Are you ready? Do I have thumbs up from everybody out? on the internet. Okay, I see those thumbs. Uh, let, let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, you're good. You're good all the time. You're, you're good in the good times. You're good in the hard times. You're, you're good when everything is going our way and when it feels like everything's going against us. You are for us. And since you're for us, who or what could be against us? And so, Lord, in these moments, we're going to worship you because you're worthy. We're going to sing praise to you. We're going to lift our voices towards the heavens and give you thanks for your goodness. Lord, we're not going to deny that there's difficult things, that there's hard things. Jesus never asked us to do that. In fact, Jesus said, in this world, you will have troubles. But Lord, you have overcome this world, and we will overcome the world right now with some praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.
think that uh, Holy Spirit must have been working through Paul and I at the same time because he referenced the scripture that I was going to read this morning. This is coming out of Romans chapter 8. And again, it might be very familiar to you, but it is worth reading. I'm going to read quite a bit here. Starting at chapter, no, starting at verse 28. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any change against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, or hardship, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the God we serve. He is holy and he is good. And nothing will stand against us because he is the God we serve. Ooh, I really wish y'all were here. <laughs> I'm closing my eyes, picturing you here. But that's okay. I hope you're rooting and cheering for, <laughs> for our Lord in your living room. Oh, just give him a good amen. Can I hear it? Amen. <laughs> oh, he is good. Let's keep singing.
are good and your promises won't fail. God, I think of Peter walking on that water and how scary that must have been because people don't walk on water. But God, he fixed his eyes on you and that is what withheld him in the storm. So God, right now, I just ask that you would help us. Help our hearts, Lord, so we can't do it on our own. Help us keep our eyes fixed on you because your word is good. Your word is true. Your promises are real. And you are immovable, unshakable. We worship you. We cling to you. We love you, Lord. And we want our lives to show that. It is in your precious and holy name that we pray. Amen. To be honest, it was a lot harder than I thought it would be coming in here today to an empty sanctuary. We we're talking about how it's only been a few weeks since we've been back and already like we've settled back into that comfortable, that norm. Um, I was texting with my sister this morning and she was reminding me, she's like, the church isn't the building, it's the people. That's why it's so hard when you come in and the people aren't there. And so um, as we take what, it, it felt like a step backward to me this week, but I'm, I'm choosing to kind of look at this a little differently and say maybe it's just a step in a different direction. So this morning as you're watching and thinking about all of the people that you would have been so excited to see and talk to and visit with this morning, maybe this afternoon you'll text those people, you'll call them, you'll invite them to go on a walk. I mean, it's, there's lots of ways that we can still be the church, we can still love each other, we can still fellowship, even when we have to step in a different direction. Um, so this morning I uh, brought what a box of chocolates here. I, I would have been happy to share with anybody that was here. Um, but as we look at it, it's like looking at this box. This box is advertising that it's caramels in milk chocolate. Uh, it's Russell Stover, an American classic, established 1923. So when I look at this, I'm expecting that it's going to be full of something pretty good, right? Who doesn't like chocolate? But on closer uh, inspection here, I find that my box of chocolates is completely empty. There's not a single one left in here. So here I'm left, the victim of false advertising. This looked like it was gonna be a box of chocolates, and it's not. And honestly, my kids love to reuse boxes like this where I will find them around the house and they have any number of things in them. And you'll be like, oh, I didn't know we, oh, that's not what I thought it was. It's full of like dirty socks. Like, or you open the fridge door and you think there's ice cream in there and you realize that, well, there is, but it's like one bite. And so I didn't buy more ice cream because it looked like we had ice cream in our freezer, and we don't. I can think of lots of times where the outside of something did not match what was inside, both good and bad. Sometimes you cut open that avocado and it looks just like, oh, it's perfect, then you open it up and it's gross inside, and like that's such a letdown. Or you pick out a book and you're like, well, the cover wasn't too exciting, but we've all heard like the don't judge a book by its cover, right? So I open it up and I'm like, oh, I can't put this thing down. 
But if I had just looked at what it looked like on the outside, I probably would have just passed right by it. So this morning, I want you to think of maybe about some times where we make decisions based just on what we can see. In the, uh, the scripture we're going to study today, we're moving into a new part of the Israelites' history, kind of where we see the rise of kings. So we're, Moses, Joshua, the judges, those periods have all passed, and the Israelites wanted a king. Well, their first king from the outside, I mean, he was tall, he was handsome, he looked kingly. But in his actual actions, he did not lead his people well. He did not follow God's heart, God's design for their community. And so as we see Samuel having the opportunity to anoint a new king, God has sent him on this task. And um, he's starting to look at all of these all of these men, these sons of Jesse, and he's thinking, surely it's going to be this one. Look how tall he is. That one's so strong. And each time God's whispering to him, no, not that one, not that one, not that one. And we come to this really uh, just poignant verse in the Bible where it says, like, man looks at what's outside, but God sees what's in our hearts. And I think about all the times that I have made a decision or thought something about someone just by what I could see. And I feel like we are in the middle of a season right now where that is so easy to make those snap judgments on someone based on something we see about them. They look different. They sound different. They think differently than I do. They don't wear the same kind of clothes that I do. And so, and this starts, I mean, even as young as kids, where we start to group people into these categories and we think we know something about them based on what we can see. And I want to challenge you this morning that God is, God is the one that sees our hearts. And when we see people the way that he does, we see a world full of people that he loves. We see a world full of people that he was willing to send his son. He gave everything for me, for you, for that person, for that person, for that person, and so on. So when we get stuck and just look at what someone looks like, we are missing seeing them the way that God does. And I guess my further challenge is that when we only see people and we make decisions based on what they look like, what is God seeing when he looks in our heart? Because what God saw in David, that little kid, the person that Samuel's like, there's no way, he saw a heart that was willing to follow his own, a heart that mirrored his, a heart that wanted his things, that wanted the things of God. And so I'm, I'm praying for us this week that when people see us, they are seeing that burning through, that we are a people after God's heart. We are people willing to live boldly in the face of saying, I will not make a judgment about someone based on what they look, based on what they say, based on these things I think I know I will lead with love and I will love that person because we will never get to see their heart if we don't show them that love. So I love you guys. I miss you. I'm excited to hear more from Pastor Paul and what it looks like really to have that heart that chases God. Well, good good morning again and good to, to see you all. Not see you, but you see me. So Hello, and uh, once again, it's good to, to have the technology that we have that allows us to um, communicate in all sorts of different ways. As a child, I took piano lessons, and I took piano lessons with my younger brother, Bobby. Bobby was born in 68. He's about five and a half years younger than me, uh, but, but Bobby was more of a natural musician, and so when we did piano lessons, Bobby just loved it. Uh, but I always said, let me go first 
so I could get out and do other things. I wanted to get done with the lessons as soon as possible. Uh, Bobby loved it, ate it up, can play almost any instrument. And even as a, a six-year-old child, while I was in there playing chopsticks, uh, Bobby was playing Holiness Unto the Lord and playing songs from the hymnal. And so it was really disheartening <laughs> uh, that, that your younger brother could pick up anything and, and play at a very early age. But there was something inside him that, that drew him uh, to music. And even now, I, I could pick up an, an old hymnal particularly because most of them are written in simple form. And I can pick up an old hymnal and I can find a song if it's written in a slow enough pace. And, and I can memorize that song so that I can play it and you could actually hear it after about three weeks and it would sound like the song. And, uh, and so, so I can do that, but, but that's a far cry from Chris Davis playing his guitar, and I love to watch Chris play, and every once in a while Chris will be in the midst of his, his picking on his guitar, playing the drums, and you can see in his face there's that emotion, there's that, that inner working of the music working through him, and, and you can just see there's something different about Chris playing something on the guitar and me memorizing something on the piano. That's why we love to watch our son Dylan play on the drums and, and, and just watch him as he worships through his playing, this, this inner thing. See, see, music includes emotion and expression. And, and, and so as we consider this epic adventure that, that God is inviting us to join him on, there is an emotion, there is an expression, there, there is this inner working of this, of this lived out in our life. In June, it was an invitation to alter our perspective to see as God sees, to see our circumstances, to, to see others, uh, to see ourselves, to see our past as God sees it. Uh, but this month we're talking about action. And God's plan is to move through spirit-filled people. And we're talking about the action of spirit-filled people. Uh, we're moving, continuing to move through the story, and uh, we talked about Joshua uh, conquering Jericho the, the first week, and then last week Josh talked about Gideon, and, and you have two contrasting uh, characters in, in the story. You have Joshua, who God is holding back, and you have Gideon, who God is calling from a hole in the ground, uh, who, who seems to be afraid to act, and God is moving him with a thumb in his, his back, to get him to action. And, and God is moving through these individuals and he's inviting them to join his epic adventure. And so we're continuing to move through the story and, and, and we're moving, we've moved through the book of Judges and we're into Samuel. And Samuel is this character who serves as judge and prophet. And the people begin to call for a king. And so Samuel appoint, anoints this, this man named Saul as the first king of Israel. Uh, now, now Saul is everything a king should be. He, he's head and shoulders taller than everybody else. He, he looks like a king. He, he looks like what you would want to see on the throne. And yet there's something wrong with Saul. Although Saul looks like God's king, he doesn't act like God's king. And he moves over and over. 
He moves beyond or away from the commandments of God until eventually God says, this doesn't work, and I want to anoint someone else to be king. And so God begins to talk to Samuel, who's still his prophet, and says, Samuel, Saul is no longer fit to be king, and there's someone else I have in mind. And this someone else is David. And for the next three weeks, we're going to talk about David. You know, what I love about David is that he's a man after God's own heart. And there's these highlights in his life, and there's these lowlights in his life. And God uses David, even though David is not perfect. I don't know about you, but that gives me a little bit of hope. Because if God can use imperfect David in dynamic and creative ways, that means God can use me, even though sometimes I mess up. And so God has rejected Saul, and beginning in 1 Samuel 16, 1 through 13, it says, Now the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul, since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? I, I love that scripture. That, that means that even though Samuel saw that, that Saul had failed, there was still grief in his heart. That, that he still felt bad because he had love for this man and he wanted to see him succeed. And so Samuel is grieving. God says, fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse from Bethlehem, for I've selected a king for myself among his sons. Of course, now we remember earlier in the story, this is a descendant of Rahab. This is a descendant of of Ruth. But Samuel said, how can I go? When Saul hears of it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. You shall invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what you shall do. And you shall anoint for me the one whom I designate to you. So Samuel did what the Lord said and came to Bethlehem. And the elders of the city came trembling to meet him and said, you come in peace? He said, in peace I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. He also consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. And then the story goes on. And, and, and Jesse's sons begin to parade in, in front of Samuel. And beginning with the oldest son. And, and the oldest son look like a king. Immediately, Samuel's saying, this is the one. This looks like Saul. Verse 7, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at the height of his statue, because I have rejected him. And, and hear this, for God sees not as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance but the Lord looks at the heart. Then the next, next six sons passed. And all of them had the appearance of a king, but none were chosen. Verse 11, And Samuel said to Jesse, Are these all the children? And Jesse said, There remains yet the youngest. And behold, he's tending the sheep. 
Then Samuel said to Jesse, bring and send and bring him, for we will not sit down until he comes. So he sent him and brought him in. Now he was, this is David, ruddy with beautiful eyes and handsome appearance. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward. The key verse here is, for God sees not as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Now, can I be honest enough to say that is an extremely frightening, scary thought? That, that as I stand or sit before you and preach, a little bit disappointed that I'm doing it this way, a little bit befuddled and angry. Anybody else like that? <laughs> you know, as I, as I sit up here with my mixed emotions, and I'll just tell you that right now, the emotions aren't just all pure that this is the greatest thing in the world, but in part of me, it's like, this stinks. That God sees me from the inside out. And as you're listening to this, and God sees you from the inside out. He sees not just what you do and what others see you do. He doesn't see just the shell, but he sees inside. He sees the motives. Now, although this is a scary thought, it's an invitation to be honest with God. Why do we think we can fool God? That we can come in here and and we can lift our hands and, and we can tell all our friends and our family, I'm okay, I feel great, and inside we're battling things and we feel like we can do the same thing with God. This is an invitation just to be honest with God with how we feel because God knows anyhow. Look, that's one of the reasons David was a man after God's own heart. When you read the Psalms, you often see David just saying how he feels. In fact, there's times in the Psalms where, where David almost accuses God of not coming through in the way that he should. It's a scary thought. It's a liberating thought, but it's a scary thought. It's a great thought as well. It, it means that God sees me more than just what I produce. He sees my intentions. That, that God can, can, can see what I'm doing and he can see past my failures when my intentions are right. You know, we can do the right things for the wrong reasons. You realize that, right? <laughs> and this is an, an invitation to do wrong things but it's possible to, with the right intention, attempt to do the right thing, but not be successful. And sometimes in our life, we'll get beat down by others and by our spiritual enemy. And we'll be accused because we don't produce like we'd like to produce. For instance, perhaps reconciliation is the goal and you do everything that you can and yet you don't get to this point of reconciliation. You might have the right intention, 
and you might try and you not succeed. That's why Mother Teresa says, God has called me, not called me to be successful, he has called me to be faithful. There's a little bit of liberation in this, in that God sees the intentions of our hearts. Now the truth is, only God sees us from the inside out. I've been, Terry and I have been married 28 years now. And the truth is that, that there's probably feelings I can hide from her and feelings she can hide from me, but we can't hide from God. I read a book on vacation by Malcolm Gladwell called Blink. And in Blink, Gladwell talks about our subconscious and how often our subconscious makes decisions for us and judgments for us without us even knowing. Now, now the truth is, sometimes those judgments are right. That, that, that sometimes our quick decision might be the right decision. Many times, they're wrong. And so in a blink of an eye, we judge people by the clothes they're wearing, how their hair is cut, by the color of their skin. Oftentimes, even though we work against these cultural prejudices, they've been worked so deeply within our culture that oftentimes things that we fight against are part of our snap decisions. God sees us from the inside out. God does not measure us by our production. He does not measure us like others measure us. And the truth is, as God's looking at us, it's not just about our activity. It's not just about what we do. Our motivations matter. Um, you ever hear the story about the guy that woke up and he knew he should go to church and Oh, but he just didn't want to go. So he looked at his wife and said, man, I just don't want to go to church today. The, the, the people don't like me. The, the service is just too long. I just don't want to go this morning. His wife leaned over and said, well, you have to go. You're the preacher. You know, we all do things. We feel we need. That's part of life. Uh, tomorrow morning, many of you will get up and, and not go to work simply because your heart is leaping with joy with the thought of working. But it's part of life. On Wednesday night, I will drag the trash cans out and put them at the curb not because it brings me joy and it causes my heart to sing, but it's part of life. And so there's many things that we do that's just part of life. And this isn't, oh, only do the things that you really want to do. And if you really don't want to do them, don't do them. No, it's finding the right motivation, even in the ordinary aspects of our life. So, so what is the right motivation. John 6.38, Jesus says, 
For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Galatians 1.10, the Apostle Paul. For am I now seeking the favor of men or of God, or am I striving to please men? If I were still striving to please, trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. But both of these pa passages talk about motivation. And the motivation is this. Our motivation in all things should be to please God and further God's kingdom. And I know some of you are hearing this and you're thinking, oh man, that sounds boring. You mean everything that I do, I've got to, it's all about God. It's all about pleasing God. And, and sometimes we use these commandments and it makes everything so lofty and unattainable. It takes all the normal out of life. David. David, this individual that God looked at and said he's got the right stuff on the inside, was ordinary. David was a shepherd. Now, now we see David the shepherd boy, and it's this lofty thing. But in the eyes of his culture, Jesse didn't even bring the youngest one because he didn't even seem worthy. In fact, at times during Israel's history, shepherds wouldn't have been even allowed to testify in court because they were considered unreliable. And so although we, we see this through the lens of Psalms 23 and his culture, David was living about as ordinary as you could, living out in the fields with the sheep. See, we can live with right motivation in our ordinary life. In fact, what God wants most is not our spare time, our extraordinary time, our extra time, our times when we can do extraordinary things. But what God wants most is for us to have the right motivation in our ordinary life. When you're putting the kids down for their nap, or giving them a bath, or, or when you're going through the grocery store, when, when, when you're at the fields and your kids are playing sports, when, when you're going to work, when you're in the grocery store, God wants that part of our life. And he wants to motivate that life, part of our life with pleasing him and furthering his kingdom. My, my life verse is, Romans 12, 1 through 2, and there's probably a month that doesn't go by that I don't use this or reference this passage in some manner or, or another. And this is from the, the message Paul writes. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you take your everyday ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. God wants our ordinary lives. I, I was talking in our in last week's or the week before's um, podcast, I believe, about a, a speaker I saw at St. Paul's Church of the Nazarene uh, probably close to 40 years ago, and it was Corey Ten Boom's assistant. And, 
and, and she was talking about Corey Ten Boom, and she said that Corey Ten Boom would get up every morning and, and pray prayers like this. God, do you want me to take the bus or walk to work? <laughs> that, 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 that somehow Corey Ten Boom believed that God was interested even in the ordinary decisions that she was making. See, see God is calling you to be a hero in your ordinary life, to be extraordinary in the ordinary, to be full of His Spirit. What, what I'm finding out or what I'm realizing, and, and maybe this season is a season to teach us this, it's not about preachers. It's not about gatherings. We like those things. Well, we like the gatherings. Maybe we don't like the preachers. I don't know. But we like these things. But that's not the point. The, the, the point is not how many people can we get in this building on a Sunday morning. The point is how many people can we get filled with the Holy Spirit, allowing the Holy Spirit to live their ordinary lives in an extraordinary way in their homes, in their communities, in their neighborhoods. Your ordinary life matters. Even in the midst of disruption, maybe even more in the midst of disruption, your ordinary life matters and can make a difference. I invite you to ask three questions as part of your prayer life. Um, what is God's will? What would please God? What would further God's kingdom? In your home, in your home life, what is God's will? What would please God? What would further God's kingdom? At your work, what is God's will? What would please God? What would further God's kingdom? At school, in your particular relationships, what if every time... You left the house. You prayed that simple thing. What is God's will? What would please God? What would further God's kingdom? Um, this COVID-19 disruption, and I'll say this again. I, I, I've heard many say that we're now seeing a new normal. I don't, I don't believe that. I, I'm sorry. Uh, maybe this is a new normal and we'll be dealing with stuff like this for, for many years. I, I think we're in the middle of a disruption. I, I can remember several years ago, I ruptured my Achilles tendon and I had to have surgery and had to have my foot in a boot and it was inconvenient, but it was not the new normal. That, that eventually that boot came off and I was able to walk upstairs normally again. I think there's coming a day when we'll be back to gathering and back to normal. You know, God sees people differently. He sees deep within. Could God see this disruption differently as well? Maybe in the midst of COVID-19, God is inviting us to dream big dreams with him. Not to wait for this to pass so we can go back to normal. I, th I thought about that as I was preparing this message. In many ways, normal is just another word for ordinary. What if God 
is calling us to extraordinary in the midst of disruption. Not, not to long for or strive after the old ordinary or the old normal to, to find our new extraordinary. Now, for that to happen, you can't be like me. <laughs> you, you can't get an old hymnal and pick out an old song and play it long enough that you can play it by memory. But you've got to play with emotion and expression and heart full of the Spirit. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we're, we're thankful that even when we're apart, we're together. Because what binds us is more than a building and more than a time, but your Spirit. And so, Lord, even though we're in many different locations right now as we experience this worship gathering, and perhaps at different times, what we understand and realize is that your Spirit binds us even closer. That, that what this preacher can't do, what this gathering can't do, your Spirit can do. As the angel told Mary, nothing will be impossible with God. And so, Lord, help us to examine our motives, to, to look deep within, to, to not strive after the old normal, the old ordinary, if you're calling us to the new extraordinary, to not be content, but to allow your spirit to speak. What is your will? How can we further your kingdom? We love you, Lord, and we give you praise. May the beauty of God be reflected in your eyes, the love of God be reflected in your hands, the wisdom of God be reflected in your words, and the knowledge of God flow from your heart, that all might see and seen belief. God bless.